Welcome to the podcast for a cruel world, where we offer financial insights for people who love life more than money. Okay, welcome to the Cruel World podcast. Uh, here with me today is Rochelle Coverson. Mm-hmm. Hi, Rochelle. Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, tell me a little about yourself before we talk about mortgages. Sure. So I um, started in banking, uh, actually with Bank of America, right out of um, high school pretty much, and worked there for 14 years. And through that time, worked my way up from a teller to a personal banker, and then eventually um, working in private bank and, and then to Premier Banking, which I helped high net worth clients with their mortgages, with investing, with Series 7 licensed, and um, with their deposit needs, their banking savings needs. Cool. Yeah. Well, we were gonna dive right in I talk about mortgage versus renting, one mm-hmm. of the most common topics topic of conversation. And some of the basic information is out there, but you certainly have more advanced experience in that area. Um, and I have more experience in the coaching side of it, people that are thinking five, six down the road, mm-hmm. uh, five, six years down the road, whether they want to buy a house or not. So figure we talk about some of the benefits and downsides of a mortgage, things to do, things not to do, and maybe a little bit of what people uh, don't see coming um, in, in, in the process. So let's just kick it off, start the start by talking about the benefits and downsides of a mortgage itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of people are, renting is getting harder to find places, and I, you know, buying a, a house is always a great investment. That's what we always hear. But when our parents used to buy a house, we they knew they were gonna stay in it for 30 years. They were gonna pay it off. That was their goal, but now, um, as the generations have changed, I know that most people, myself included, don't look at staying in a house forever. So it's maybe going to be a short-term investment of two to five years. So when you're looking at that, there's a lot of costs, upfront costs to buying a house. Um, the cost of doing the mortgage, and when you first get your mortgage, a lot of it is interest. So you're not even paying down principal. So when you're considering, there's a lot of factors to consider. and just looking at what your break-even point would be. How long do you have to stay in that house before you even just pay off the, the cost of getting the mortgage itself? Um, and then once you look at those figures, you need to look at how long you think you're gonna be there. And is this really a, a longer-term investment? Maybe three to five years. What are some additional um, hidden costs up front? Mm. Well, Going into it, you're obviously going to have an origination fee. And depending on who you go through, sometimes if you go through a mortgage lender, they will waive that. Um, Credit unions often don't have an origination fee, which can be up to 1%. So if your mortgage is $300,000, that's $3,000 right off the bat. Um, When you're also looking at a mortgage, everyone talks about the rate. And I would love when my clients would call me and say, you know, this is the rate. And I'd say, well, what are you paying for that rate? I can get you any rate you want. It's just how much are you willing to pay for it. So a lot of times, um, if you don't want to pay a lot, you can get a credit with that rate. So you might have a higher rate. Or if you want a really low rate because you think you're going to be there a long time, then you can buy down the rate. And that's at a cost, but it does benefit you in the long term because you're paying a lower rate on that large sum of money for a long period of time. So those are just some of the costs. You will have standard um, your appraisal fee and lo- your title fee. There's a lot of those fees, but also one that people don't consider is your prepaid. And so you have to prepay your mortgage up front. 
almost one loan payment. And so that can be quite a bit. And also when your taxes are due, sometimes you have to fill your escrow account. With, that means that you have to pre-fund that so you have enough in there when your taxes come due. That happened to us last year <laughs> because we passed legislation here in the Pacific Northwest for the local rail for 30 mm -hmm. years of building rail lines and our property taxes went way up. So we had to pay something like $500 up front to make up the difference in what we would have paid. Yeah, otherwise. and it's not something you think of when you're buying a house. And, and that's actually not even one of the fees or, uh, that they'll quote you when they're giving you an estimate because they don't know what they're gonna be. That's dependent on the house, um, your property insurance or your homeowner's insurance, uh, whatever that cost for that premium is gonna be. So there's a lot of costs in there that you don't even think about and don't realize until you sit down and they say, you think you have to come in with 10,000, all of a sudden they say 12,000. And that's, you know, there's a lot of expenses going into a house besides just the loan. Do you find people underestimate um, the, the private mortgage insurance dynamic as well? I do, I do. And most people aren't able to put 20% down, so they are gonna have PMI We certainly insurance. did not. Yeah, yeah, and we just bought a house, my husband and I, and we also, had to pay PMI insurance. But I know that I also understand that in two years we can refinance and I'll be diligent about that, but some people don't realize that. So they just keep paying it until they refinance, if they ever do. Yeah, in our, in our situation, we bought our home in 2015 mm -hmm. and we, we scraped together 5% and mm -hmm. that took several years to put together yeah. and then had the, the PMI uh, the mortgage insurance, which I think for us was $186 a month. And then um, we ended up refinancing a couple of years ago uh, and, and got rid of that finally because we had equity in the house at that time. Exactly. And that's the point. You have to have equity. You have to, your house has to appreciate. That's why they usually say about two years. And that's when your mortgage, you owe um, less than 20% and then you can have that taken off. But if that doesn't happen in two years, your house doesn't increase in value, you might not be able to take it off. And ours was around $200 or more as well. So that makes a difference in your loan payment. So that total monthly payment that's gonna replace your rent payment is mm -hmm. the interest and the principal on the loan itself, the mm -hmm. private mortgage insurance, if you don't put 20% down, which mm -hmm. nobody can. If you can, <laughs> you're probably not listening to this yeah. podcast. And the, uh, the property taxes, and the homeowner's insurance itself, and maybe flood insurance if you're in a flood zone. So all of those things are what's adding up to your act. So when you actually get a quote from the bank, mm -hmm. you're probably just getting the uh, the uh, the loan itself, the mm -hmm. principal and the interest, exactly. and then you got to think about the extra four to six hundred dollars of everything else that's gonna that's gonna be tacked on top of that, and that's what you're comparing to your rent. Exactly, and not only that, I mean that's just the cost of the house, but your expenses, your utilities and all of that are going to be a lot more. Uh, we just got our house in, um, in Tacoma and we got our first utility bill. Well, they include water, uh, sewer, garbage and electricity. That bill was, I think it was $600 for two months. And I about had a heart attack when I opened it up because in my loft, I paid maybe 100 or $200. So that was an expense that we weren't prepared for. So your monthly expenses are a lot more as well, just your basic utility costs. So that's something you also have to factor in because the utilities that you pay in, let's say your apartment, if you rent, are gonna be substantially less than what you'll pay for a house. 
especially if, depending on the age of your home, if it's not well insulated, your mm -hmm. heating bills. I know around here in the Pacific Northwest, heating bills for old houses is an enormous oh, yeah. problem for people in the winter and really for like nine months out of the year. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are the benefits of, of, of a mortgage if you go that way and mm -hmm. owning your home? Yeah, I think a mortgage is a great option for those people who know that they want to stay in an area for, I, my opinion, at least five years. I think that that is a good time um, where your house has time to appreciate. Um, and, I, and I say five years because a couple of years ago, houses were just increasing in value at a rapid pace. And a lot of people got disillusioned by it. They thought, oh, wow, I can just get into my house, stay there for a year and sell it and make a profit. And so people just weren't thinking that this was really a long-term investment. But you really should consider staying in there for about five years before you're even going to make a profit when you get out of it because there's cost to sell your house too. You don't get all the profit that, you know, you think, oh, my house is worth this and when I sell it, I'm going to get all that. There's a lot of other costs when you sell it. So I would say five years is a good um, break-even point where you'll have some equity. And at that time, hopefully you can be looking at um, having a little bit of profit to actually invest in another place and do that step up. Um, so I think owning a house just gives you a lot of security. It is a financial commitment, so you have to be willing and um, able to do that. I would recommend that you have a good um, amount in savings, not just to put in the house, but you really should have at least a couple months of your expenses in savings, just in case something happens. Because with your house, if something, if the water heater goes out, you can't just call the landlord and say, come fix it. So I think a lot of people get excited to get into a house and it ends up hurting them. It ends up um, being something that they can't afford, they get in debt, and then here this asset that was supposed to enrich their lives actually ends up doing more damage. It ruins their credit, it, um, you know, it, it becomes a huge financial strain um, on them and it takes the joy out of home ownership. So I think people really need to consider it's a great investment when the situation is right. You have to really plan for it. It's not something you should go into um, without really looking at all the costs and making sure that you're really prepared financially to make that investment. In the context of a financial coaching session, the accrual world position is that uh, a mortgage should be, uh, your goal should be to have your, your mortgage not substantially more than your rent would be or than you can afford mm -hmm. and to consider the you know, things like stability in, in, in having a monthly payment to the priority mm -hmm. and not to consider the home a wealth building tool, um, but be pleasantly surprised if it becomes one for you. Um, although the exception being if you consider being in a long time, knowing that you're going to have a home that is paid off come retirement mm -hmm. is a great uh, wealth building tool, uh, wealth building dynamic to look forward to. But we definitely discourage people from saying, "Let's buy a two hundred thousand dollar house and we'll wait till it's four hundred thousand. That's what because you might mm -hmm. get you might get hit in the meantime and not be able mm -hmm. to get wait till that point. Yeah, and I think that our parents that was their retirement plan. It was their house. You know, they got in, they paid um, an extra amount every. You know, they would pay. Um, extra down as much as they could so they could pay that off as quickly as possible and a lot of them did most of them didn't pay their home off in 30 years they paid it off in 20 or 25 because they really everything they had went towards that home and that was their investment and it was and it was a good stable investment they 
weren't as comfortable with, let's say, stocks and investments because of what had happened in the market and the crash. So their home was something that had stability. They knew if, if they lost everything, they had a roof over their head. Now, um, you know, I was kind of brought up to think, yes, buy a house. That's the thing you do. My stepmom's in mortgage, so she was always encouraging me to get into a house right away. And I made that decision, and it really was a strain on me because I was um, single and having to carry that mortgage by myself. Um, and my house decreased in value, so I couldn't sell it. I was living in the suburbs, but my life was really in the city. And so I eventually had to just cut my losses and sell it, and I didn't make a profit on it. But it really prevented me from doing a lot of things that I would have liked to do. Um, and it was just something that not only consumed me emotionally, I was you know, always concerned about, am I going to be able to make this mortgage payment? But time. I mean, I had to work in the yard. I had to fix everything. So at a time where I could have been traveling and really enjoying life, I was strapped to this mortgage. So when I had that opportunity again, um, to decide where I was going to live and I was being encouraged to buy a house, I decided to rent because it just gave me more freedom. It allowed me more um, disposable income. Um, it just gave me more freedom. And I think we need to acknowledge that while an apartment doesn't necessarily give us a, an asset like a house does, it does add value to us. It gives us a lot more freedom. And depending on where you're at in your life, that might be more valuable than a this home that you own. And that was certainly the situation for my wife and I. We rented for 10 years so that we could move around, and we did, and went internationally for three years and served. And when we came back to the States and started our family, and at that time wanted stability, then we purchased a home so that we could know what we were going to be paying every month and know that we had something our kids could grow up in and we could provide that stability for them. But it wasn't until that made sense for our family and our life goals that we made that decision and knew we were going to make that commitment, which is kind of the whole point of the accrual world model is mm -hmm. to have your finances follow your life goals, not the other way around. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I don't know about you, but did you get a lot of um, comments of yours throwing your money away over those 10 years? I mean, were people supportive of that or not? Well, when we left, there was, we had a question when we left for the Peace Corps in 2010. So in 2010, the market was near the bottom. And at that time, no one knew what was going to happen to the housing market. Mm -hmm. Is it going to stay like this forever? Is it going to bounce back and be crazier? And so when we left for the Peace Corps, we assumed that we were giving up our opportunity to buy a house because the interest rates were super low. And we figured two to three years, by the time we get back, houses will have increased in value and interest rates will have gotten higher and it's, it'll be out of reach mm -hmm. for us. And it happened to be that the interest rates stayed low. And when we got back, they were low enough that two years after we got back, we um, ended up buying our home. Um, I don't think other people put that pressure on us so much just because buying a home in like the Seattle area is uh, brutal and not really mm -hmm. to be expected anyway. Um, but I, and I feel like that conversation is more now. I, I, 10 years ago, I didn't hear people talking about renting is a waste of money as much. Mm -hmm. Now I'm hearing that conversation a lot. Um, but if your life if, it, if your life does not accommodate a mortgage, then it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think the pressure, too, of um, the rates are low and, you know, if you wait, you're not going to be able to get into a house. I just think there's a lot of um, 
misconceptions about that, I don't think that's the case. She'll always be able to buy a house. People have always been able to buy a house, and buying a house has always seemed out of reach a lot of times. I mean, when our grandparents purchased a house, maybe for $1,000, that was a lot. That was, you know, the equivalent of us getting maybe a half a million dollar house. It was a lot. But when you're financially ready, um, it'll be the right time and you'll be able to afford it, either because you have a lot of savings or your credit's really good and you can get a low rate, um, or maybe you have dual incomes, which always helps. I think a dual income, um, a single person purchasing a house, I think it's a great investment if depending on where you're at, but it also um, can be a lot of pressure because if something happens to your job, there's no one there to help subsidize the mortgage and the expenses. Yeah, and we say finances is really all about trade-offs, right? If you're, it, it is true that having a lower interest rate lowers your monthly payment and saves you money if you have a mortgage. On the other hand, if you take advantage of those interest rates and buy a home, mainly because you feel pressured to, because everybody else says you're never gonna get a low interest rate again, making financial decisions based on peer pressure is usually what leads people to catastrophic decisions mm -hmm. at some point. And so even if you don't know where that catastrophe is gonna come from, if you're making decisions out of being pressured, that's often gonna be the result. And so thinking about your life plan and having your financial plan to the degree that a low interest rate helps that plan along, great. But having to have that plan in place and knowing what your priorities are is kind of the first step. And then pressure won't be a dynamic because you know where you're headed. Exactly. That's so, that's so true. I think that's the most important thing is you have to know where you're going and see what if buying a house fits into that plan and if it's going to allow you to reach your goals. And I think a lot of people um, think a little bit more short-sighted. I know I did at first when I was purchasing my first home. I wasn't thinking about um, all the expenses that that would entail, um, and I didn't really plan. I, I didn't. I didn't have my future mapped out, and so a lot of people say if you don't uh, plan where your or you need to, you determine where your money's going or your money's going to go somewhere, but it's not going to go to where you want it to go. Um, and so I think it's so important to have a plan and be thinking about and asking yourself those questions like where do I want to be. And maybe some people aren't married, so they feel like, I can't answer that question. But you still need to come up with goals. Like, what do you want to accomplish? And if you meet someone and those change, you have that conversation. But you should always have a plan and be looking forward and know where you want to achieve and what you want to achieve in your financial life. And you got to have a career pathway, too, because committing to a home, unless you know you could rent, you could either mm -hmm. sell easily or rent that home for more than your mortgage is, uh, you're stuck with whatever job is within driving distance of the house that you bought, exactly. which is a, which is a huge creates a huge mobility issue, which we already struggle with. Mm -hmm. And there are some other unintended problems we see people people dealing with now. I mean, we were fortunate to buy a home that our family that fits our family and our family can grow into a little bit. Although we partly did that by buying a little bit bigger home in a lower income area, so that has other trade offs. But we have that uh, home that we're comfortable with. Most of the families at our age bought starter homes just to break into the market, but in part because interest rates are higher and in part because the cost of housing is just so wildly out of control, it seems like, people are not able to move out of the starter home. So now you have people with two or three kids who are getting older and bigger, mm -hmm. and you're in a 900 or 1100 square foot to maybe three bedroom you know, rambler, 
maybe older, maybe requires a lot of maintenance, but you feel stuck. Like, can you really go from uh, you know a 3.8% interest rate and a $150,000 mortgage to a 5% interest rate and what probably is going to be a $400,000 mortgage to get into a home that fits your family better, maybe 350. I mean, that jump is very high and people's incomes are just not that high. So getting out of, maybe being stuck in a starter home is a, is a consequence of buying a home because of the pressure, which we're seeing a lot of now. Yeah, and when we bought our house, um, you know, it's a, it's a smaller house, like 1,200 square feet. It's not huge. Um, three bedrooms, but two are very small. And, you know, that was 300,000. And when I bought my original house in Puyallup, it was um, four bedroom, two and a half bath, huge in Puyallup for like 172,000. And so now, yeah, you can't afford as much house. But as we were looking at purchasing a house, we could have gone a little bit higher. But when we looked at buying a house, we said, let's only factor this on one income so that if anything happens, um, we're going to be okay. Also, because we're still, you know, um, wanting to have kids. And so if that meant I didn't work for a while, could we still afford our house? We still wanted to make sure that if our life changed in any way that we could still afford that house. But a lot of my friends are purchasing houses in the, you know, half a million range and, you know, larger houses. And there's such an appeal to that. And so we've had to constantly remind ourselves that, you know, we want to keep our lifestyle um, that allows us to travel. And we want to make sure that, um, our family remains close when we have kids and I think the bigger house you get the more <laughs> room people have to go and spread out in but I think when you're considering like upgrading back in the day they had smaller houses and they managed you know there'd be six people in a house that maybe had three bedrooms and they and they made it work and I think we need to start looking at that again I think we always want bigger 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 and is it really a necessity and if it is what are you willing to give up for are you willing to give up those vacations maybe it means um, giving up you know certain private schools or lessons or you know luxuries you have or an extra car that you have like what are you willing to sacrifice to have that more space and what are you hoping that 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 space gives you and that's really the the stigma that we want this is why we want to break the stigma of talking about mm -hmm. money and talking about finances and clarifying financial goals and really celebrating what your life and financial goals are because if you're if your goal is to have a half million dollar or bigger home and be in it for 30 mm -hmm. years or whatever fantastic yeah if your goal is to travel and have more flexibility or just have more short medium term security and having a smaller home that you know you can afford on one income great but knowing what you want and knowing what important what's important to you is kind of the goal and the thing that very few people even the millennials in our 20s mm -hmm. and 30s seem to have struggled to figure out. And maybe if we can clarify more of our life goals and, and corresponding financial goals, we can make some better decisions. Absolutely. And I think we have to be okay with our decision and not comparing our, our decision to someone else. And it's really hard, um, you know, when everyone around you maybe has that larger house and you're thinking, wow, that'd be really nice or I really love that house. It's really hard to stay focused and say, wait, does that fit our lifestyle? And so I think being honest with yourself and having a conversation about that and then being okay with it, like being okay with your choices being different than someone else's, you know, it's about what works for you personally. 
it's not about what everyone else is doing. And I think that's where we get caught up and make bad mis- and make bad choices, especially when it comes to finances. Cool. Yeah. Well, Rochelle, thank you for spending the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Accrual World. Subscribe to download new episodes and go to accruelworldcoaching.com for more insights and to sign up for your online coaching session.